This month's sponsor of the podcast, Spamming Zero, is customer with a K, K-U-S-T-O-M-E-R.com. Go check customer out today. They're amazing. They are your top-rated CRM for customer service. Finally, a CRM meant for customer service. They deliver fast, rich experiences to your customers with omni-channel messaging, a unified customer view, and AI-powered automations like their AI chat, which comes with their products. Go check them out. They offer a free trial. They also have a slew of CX tools for customer experience professionals like yourself that you can use as well. And on top of that, they have brands like Glossier, Rappi, Skims, Ring, Hopper, and Untuck It all on their brand and using their products. They offer different types of solutions like self-service, artificial intelligence, of course, the CRM for customer service, and just customer service in general. So they actually can provide help desk features as well. Go check them out. They're amazing. And they're specifically meant for you. That's customer with a K, K-U-S-T-O-M-E-R.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. Happy Monday, everybody. It is a Monday morning. Welcome to Spanning Zero. I'm your host, James Gilbert, and we are joined by Mercer Smith. She is the VP of CX Insights and Community at Partner Hero. Welcome to the show, Mercer. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> it's it's funny because we we were kind of like playing a little bit of phone tag, trying to get you on the show. But I I was so excited to get you on though. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why. But I just want the audience to kind of get to know you a little bit. Can you give them uh, just like who you are, why they need to listen to you today? Yeah, sure. So um, I started in CX uh, almost two decades ago, which is pretty bonkers to think about. Every time I say that, I'm like, really? Um, You know, uh, I I started working out in Apple retail, and that was kind of where I, I began my sport journey. But since then, I've been really privileged to work at some excellent companies, uh, Trello, Atlassian, Campaign Monitor, um, Wistia, uh, building teams and helping to define CX strategy. Um, I built out Wistia's community from scratch a decade and a half ago, um, and I've continued to kind of build up my chops at these great companies and and learn from all the people on, on the way. Um, and so I, I think I have some unique perspectives um, just across all of those experiences. Hundred percent, and I actually see that you're you're uh, connected to a lot of the CX influencers that I follow as well. You know the Annette Franzes and the Nate Browns, and yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like that's like the CX community for sure. And there's so many great people in there. Um, I think the thing that I love most about the customer experience community is just how genuine people are, wanting to help help each other. So for sure. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of these journeys that you've been on. Like, first of all, I I didn't know that you had built a community at Wistia because Wistia was, I've, I've been using Wistia for a long time. Um, yeah. I love what they do. I love some of the newer stuff that they're doing as well. Like, talk to us about some of that because like video, when they came out, building the community around like video first was actually like pretty unknown at the time. And Wistia was like really leading the charge with that. That was before like Vidyard kind of came in and also was doing that. So like talk about that because that's that's a little different. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, we hired a social media manager named Elise, and she and I worked together to really concept and build out the community. We decided instead of using a previously existing platform, we wanted to build ours from scratch. Brand was super important to Wistia. We were a marketing company. They still are a marketing company. Um, but it was important to us that it fit our vibe. So we did a bunch of user research. We interviewed like some of our top customers, asked them what they cared about, what they would engage in in the community. Uh, and we worked with our engineering team to build it from scratch. And then we cultivated a strategy that was a little bit different from most communities, reason being that it was video heavy, right? And video takes a little bit longer to produce and put together than, you know, a post or something like that. We really wanted our users to submit their videos. We wanted people to ask for feedback. And so we we created this space based on that. Um, it was It was very... It was not very small, but it was smaller than your typical community, right? You look at these CX communities now, there's like a 1,000, 3,000 members, like something like that. I don't think that would have been sustainable for us, and we had it only for customers. Um, and uh, yeah, I think some of the biggest learning opportunities there was, you know, how to incentivize engagement, right? Like a community isn't going to stay alive if no one's in there and talking about it. So what are we going to do to try to get these people in every single day? What are we going to get them uh, involved in? How are we going to get them to want to check this stuff? And other than if they've posted, right? Mm -hmm. I think anyone who's in community or in CX knows if someone posts something, then they'll, of course, they'll come and check back and be like, oh, has someone commented? Has anyone engaged? Like what's going on? Um, but the incentive to come and look in a community when you haven't posted your own content yet is, uh, is pretty slim. Um, and so that was something that we really worked on. The way that we did that was a lot of Wistia-generated content. So we would have, you know, community updates, and we would call out specific community members. And so people were coming and checking to see what we were putting out rather than coming to check on comments of, of stuff that they put out. And I think that was a different strategy from how a lot of other um, companies were doing community and still are to this day, right? Um, Wistia's community has changed a lot. I think they've actually moved to uh, a not self-owned platform onto something that is developed and maintained by a third party. Um, but that was for sure a learning opportunity for me and I think for the company as a whole. I love the value first um, approach that you took, like recognizing great work that people are doing. Um, we have I, I can't announce it yet. We have something that we're doing here at Flip that's going to be pretty awesome for direct-to-consumer customer experience professionals. And um, we are excited about it and stoked about it. So stay tuned for that. Um, but Mercer, awesome. I want to shift gears here for just a little bit. You as a, you're, you're in a current customer experience role as a VP. And I, I, when you're at that VP level in a customer experience role, it's, it's tough, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, you're having to work with executives that don't understand it. Like, let's be real here. They just don't. They're trying to, but they just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. No number two, you're constantly having to fight for budget. And a lot of times your budget in the customer experience realm of strategy is sometimes the first areas that get cut. All right. Now, I don't want to lead into like a, a, a biased take here, but I'd love for you to just, what is your like hot take right now when it comes to customer experience? You're in a role, you're at a VP level. Talk to the world about like what it takes to manage this and what is your hot take right now? Sure. So my hot take um, 
I'll, I'll take that one on first because I actually think it addresses some of the budget pieces that you're talking about. Um, my hot take is that uh, the big differentiator is going to actually be having humans and using humans on your team, right? So everyone and their mom is talking about AI uh, and how valuable AI is and how it's going to take all of our jobs and all of these things. And while I agree that AI is useful, I think that we're going to start seeing a really sharp swing back. Um, to uh, consumers want, and, and, you know, B2B, this applies to B2B as well, wanting to work with actual human beings. Um, we saw it with all the smart technology. We have seen it time and time again. This trend repeats. People get really hyped about some new thing and then it ends up kind of the pendulum swings back and it ends up being there ends up being anti-sentiment around it. So I think my hot take is while you should be leaning into AI, I don't think um, leaning as heavily into it as many people are um, is going to be a good path forward. Uh, also, I mean, we have yet to see how impactful AI actually is, right? Like we're in the throes of this whole experience right now. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. So putting all of your eggs in one basket in that regard, um, I think is ill-advised. And I mean, I love AI, right? Like I'm building an AI product. I yeah. think that there's big opportunities for it, but I don't think that it's going to be the end all be all that everyone thinks. And I also feel like com customers are going to prioritize working with companies that they know have CX that's driven by humans rather than driven by machines. Yeah. Um, I yeah. couldn't agree more with you. I mean, here, here's the thing. Like we, we, we talk a lot about this on the show and it's no secret by this time. Like those that have, those that are listening to the show, like, we, we do AI at Flip, right? But it's like a tiny fraction of the entire experience. And we always say that to people, like, listen, like there are moments that people do prefer not to work with the human, but th those are moments in the journey and they're mm -hmm. not the whole journey. And quite frankly, like when you, uh, the, the, the worst thing in the world for me is when I, like we all work a certain amount of time in a day and the worst thing in the world for me is when I get off work and then like, this is the time that I get with my family, like my four little kids who are growing up. I have a driver now for Pete's sakes. Like I'm running out of time with my children, you know, I do not want to waste a single moment on the phone or in a chat with any customer service or support group during that time. Mm -hmm. And it's the only time that I can because of my work, right? And it's wild to me that like I get off work and nothing's open. Yep. And I'm like, okay, so now, now I have to like carve into my job. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I, I even did a post about this the other day and I was like, listen, like I should start charging businesses my hourly rate. If I have to carve out, <laughs> cause one, they're making me wait on hold. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting on hold for 20 minutes. So you're not even helping me in that 20 minutes. It's a complete waste of my time. So I'm like, what if we started charging businesses like an hourly rate? Like, I mean, it's not too crazy of an example. There's, I'm sure somebody's going to probably create a product for it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. That's funny. Yeah. Cause when one of the questions that you asked me, uh, you know, when we were prepping for this was, you know, what happens when you like have to hit zero on a phone call for support? And I was like, as soon as that happens, I'm like, man, I really wish I could be emailing you because honestly, I would much rather wait a bit longer and just write off an email in like two minutes than be sitting for like an hour 
however long it is to be on on a support phone call. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I talk to people all day. I would rather just email you. I'm happy to wait. I will wait however long it is until you get back to me. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Mercer, I got a weird question to ask you because I, I, here at Flip, a little while ago, we did this like big, uh, we called it our big Flip and Reveal one. We rebranded a Flip. No one knew that we were actually going to be called Flip. So it was kind of a fun little pun. That is and, fun. <laughs> um, we had our like founders uh, do this challenge and I was doing the challenge with them. And one of the challenges was, is they each had to dye their hair. Mm-hmm. Now we had our CEO dye his hair the lime green and we had our CRO dye his hair purple and we had um, our our CTO dye their hair like this teal color. So it's like all of our color palette, right? Yep. I, how many how many different colors do you go through in a year? Yeah, so I actually, I go through the rainbow. Um, so every single month I move further in the color wheel. I start at red and go all the way through to purple. Uh, so usually in a year, I'll make it like halfway through the color wheel. Uh, so I'd say probably like four or five with like different variants of shades. Um, but it's something I started doing at the beginning of the pandemic. I have kids too. I have a son who's six now and he his favorite color is rainbow. So anytime I was like, what color should I dye my hair? He's like, rainbow. Um, Have you ever done like a full rainbow? No, I haven't. I thought about it, but I'm worried that it would like all bleed together and just be brown. Um, So I haven't yet, but stay tuned. Maybe I will. Maybe I will someday. (laughs) What's your favorite? What's your favorite? I mean, there's, there's all, you know, like your son, it's your son says like rainbow, but like, what's your favorite? Probably, um, I really like like dark blue, purple, like galaxy color. You yeah. know, that's yeah, that's a good one. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. What about you? <laughs> you know, I actually got um, dared to dye my beard. Yeah. See, there's this thing that my wife tells me all the time, and that's that if I ever touch my beard, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like that was off the tables. I I, I have I've not dyed my hair in the longest time um Mm -hmm. i think the last time i dyed my hair was when i was in high school and i dyed it like really dark black because i i hated that sounds about right i hated being blonde you know Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know people people said i looked like a vampire i see pictures now of it i'm like (laughs) well actually yeah i mean i'm pretty pale white and (laughs) dyeing my hair black does not do it justice you know yeah (laughs) Oh man. All right. So back on topic here, let's talk more about this customer experience stuff and building community. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read that book right there, the yellow one, but highly recommend it. Yeah, I have not. uh, But I was, I was looking at the other stuff. I'm like, all right, I need to like, see what we've got here, see what I can read. So So I haven't read that one yet. This one's by Mark Schaefer, um, Mm -hmm. who is a great author um, in the marketing world. And he wrote that one specifically about community and each like chapter goes through like a real use case of a community that's being built and some wild ones like communities that are being built in like the metaverse and stuff like that it's pretty awesome pretty cool book but there's one example in there that i love and it's by uh the 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 lady who created mom boss i don't know if you're familiar with mom boss but Mm -hmm. she wanted a community that she connect with other moms that are entrepreneurs and building their own businesses and this thing grew like wildfire. It's actually, I think it's still to this day, the fastest growing community in the world, maybe outside of like chat GBT now, because I don't even know if you can count that as a community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
it was so it it went so fast, and that was because of exactly what we've been talking about that value first approach. And mm-hmm. these moms needed a place to go and bounce ideas off, like, hey, I'm like starting this like retail shop, or I'm starting a clothing line, or I'm, or heck, I'm starting like a, a like Fortune 500 company that I want to eventually like grow, right? I mean, there's yeah. lots there's lots of things here that I think people can can relate to. So when you look at building community for Partner Hero, and you don't have to necessarily use the lens of Partner Hero, but just in general, what do you think people need to be thinking about? Like our audience on this show is is specifically like direct to consumers and 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 B two C. So mm-hmm. what would you what what advice or what tips would you give them? Sure. Um, I think if you're looking to build community in any space, the first thing that you need to do is understand what people care about. Um, and be able to put yourself in their shoes, right? Because if you're just building a community because you're like, we need a community or my product needs a community, like it's not going to do what you want it to do, right? Like no one, I mean, there are probably a select few people that care enough about your products to just join a community because like, yeah, okay, you've got a product. But like figuring out what your, uh, your potential community members give a hoot about and want to spend their time talking about or engaging on is super important. So whether that be like your actual product itself or unique ways to use your product or just like the things that your product empowers people to do, right? Like I think identifying that first before you even go into building a community is very important. For Partner Hero, we really strive to provide value for free, right? So one of my goals is to like make Partner Hero University, which is a school for community and CX folks, and they can just come and take classes for free. And it has, you know, maybe is accredited someday, like all of the, all of this stuff, like grand plans. Um, and that's really what I built the community around is like, okay, how can we give as much back uh, in terms of like education and learning resources, uh, as we can for free. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of like peer mentorship that's in there. There's like free book clubs. There's all of this, all this free stuff that we're just giving away because that's ultimately what the people want in CX specifically is they want to learn from each other. They want to be able to connect their, their talkers and connectors primarily. But I see, you know, community for like Oats Overnight, for instance, has a bonkers community. I don't know if you've seen it or heard about it, but it's all on Facebook and there's like thousands of members. There's like 300 posts a day. It's nuts. And they're all just talking about like which oats flavors they like and what they've done with them. Right. It's like, oh, today I took my s'mores oats and I made a s'mores oat pancake with whipped cream and I added this syrup. And like, so that's what they want to talk about. Right. Like they want to share what they're doing with the product. But then if you're looking at, um, I'm trying to think of some other, some other products. There's, um, sourdough house is another one, but, um, where they're not necessarily talking about what they're doing with their product. They're talking about something tangential to the product. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess like the TLDR is (laughs) again, think back on what your community really cares about. If it's not directly related to your product or it's like tangential, you need to cultivate spaces for that within your community from the start in order for it to be burgeoning. And also leave yourself a little bit of space to pivot. Like you can have some off-topic rooms or off-topic channels or whatever um, in case what you assume is the right option uh, actually ends up being not what they care about. I love this because it's, it's actually quite a simple thing to provide a place for people just to, you know, interact. 
but it's not happening very often. <laughs> so like you're just by doing that one thing, you're already going to be seen differently in people's eyes. And I especially think this is true when it comes to direct to consumer brands. And like, I think about the community that liquid death is currently building right now. <laughs> I mean, everybody loves their social media. It's absolutely wild. I mean, and like, this is no disrespect to them because I love, I love what they're doing. Um, I actually want to get them on the show. So gosh, dang it. You got to answer me. <laughs> but I mean, they, they're selling water. Mm -hmm. If, the, if they can do that at this level and make it entertaining and fun, like it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're a brand out there and that's like not your brand essence or MO, like you don't have to necessarily go to the wild extremes that some are, but providing an avenue where people can interact is, is key, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, something that Liquid Death has done really well is like audience assessment, right? I remember when Liquid Death first came out, I'm, I'm in the hardcore and punk communities. I am sober. I am their target demographic, right? Like I am the person that they want to buy their water. And so I've been getting Liquid Death ads for like five years or however long they've been around. <laughs> Um, and I, so I think like, they know that though, like they know who I am, right. <laughs> um, and they know what I want in my advertising and my branding. And I think that's the key thing. Like if they had tried to sell liquid death to anybody else, it wouldn't have been as much of a hit, right? Like they really found their target demo from the start and went after it. And then once they got and nailed that, then they kind of expanded outwards. Um, and that. I think that's the the key success point is, is that you see these brands that are like really taking off. Um, and I think that's probably why, because they're like, okay, we need to find some real niche. We need to target them first, get those like super users, like the super passionate people that really care about what we're doing. And then from there, they can, bring the tangential community on. I couldn't agree more with you. So let's let's talk about like the intersection of customer experience and community because I think that they in a lot of ways go hand in hand. Like as you're building the foundations of a community, a lot of times you you've, you've actually mentioned this on this on this show is, is you have to build some of the foundational pieces with customer experience to understand what the true MO of what the community is going to need. So what's your advice on some of that um, in like intertwining both of them because like as you're doing your customer experience strategy, there's insights and data that you can also help empower and amplify the community. This actually might be a hot take too. Ooh, you like those. Yeah. Uh, maybe just my life is a hot take. Um, I feel like uh, if you are just getting started with your CX strategy and you're like, how do these two intertwine? And you're asking that question, it might not even be the right time for you to start thinking about a community. It might be time for you to continue thinking on like, the individual pieces of the strategy first uh, and really nailing one. those down. But we need one. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's, I'm like, but maybe you don't, <laughs> maybe you don't yet. Like maybe hold off on the community and focus on those like other real key touch points. Um, I don't know if you've read what customers crave. We're reading it in my like CX book club right now, which is why it's top of mind. But I was going to ask you what's your like go-to CX book. This is perfect. Let's do it. Yeah. So we're that's we are reading that right now. So if you still want to get in on it, you can. Um, anyone to. can. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so what customers crave is really good. He's got five points in the life cycle of a customer, and it's all these different touch points. And it starts obviously 
pre-purchase, right? Someone's just coming. Anyone who's done customer journey mapping, this will sound familiar to you, but like someone's just coming on, they find you via your website, via social media, whatever. They go through all of the the buying points, they purchase your product or sign up as a user or whatever. And then the last touch point is what you're providing to them after all else has been done, right? You've delivered their product, you've given them customer support or customer success or whatever, or self-service. What are you giving to them after all of those opportunities? And the answer to that is community, right? Like I think community comes into play there. So if you don't have all of those other things set up already, like let's not talk about community. Let's figure out those other things that they need to get to that endpoint first. And and let's actually unpack this for a second because let's say you try to build a community and you don't do the things Mercer just said. Let me give you an example of what's going to happen. The social proof is going to go backwards for you, right? The community is going to be built around how shitty your experience is. Yes. <laughs> That's the opposite of what you want. Then then your revenue generation when it comes to your customer experience is going to go too kaput. And that's not what you want, right? And I think that there's a lot of, to your point, I think there's a lot of people out there that are doing exactly what you're saying. They're trying to build a cart before the horse, or is it the heart? Yeah, it's the cart before the horse. Build the cart before the horse, yeah. You know? And you can't do that. Like you've got to, you, you've got to get the foundational pieces down. And it's, it's, I think I also think about this as, a lot of people talk about, I, even myself, I talk about like wow moments in, in the, the brand experience and things like that. And like, I keep hearing so many people like talk about like, forget the, forget the wow moments, like just like serve the person that's wow enough. And to be honest, like, it's true. Like this, the, the experience that we all have with customer service with, I, I want to say primarily D to C brands. Okay. Mm. Here's why I say that because like the B2B world is a little bit different on how they go about customer service and all of that, even though I still think there's considerable problem there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we all can relate to having to call a brand or a service or business like our internet provider or our cell phone company, like all of these are direct to consumers and the customer service is just fundamentally broken. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really bad. Like it's so bad. In fact, that if you, handle and resolve the situation that is social proof enough for the person to go and be like (laughs) even though you created a terrible experience for them to begin with for them to call or reach out to you that alone is enough for people to like brag about you (laughs) yeah yeah it's called the service recovery paradox it's wild to me i'm like this is not hard you know like Mm -hmm. you have a really low bar a Mm -hmm. really really low bar and making incremental improvements here and there. It's like Bucky's. Yeah. Bucky's won the Forbes Best Customer Experience Award this year. Bucky's. That's a gas station. And oh. the reason was because they have clean bathrooms. I was like, <laughs> people should have clean bathrooms. I mean, I love Bucky's as next as much as the next person, but like you should have clean bathrooms. That should not be the thing that like gets you an award. You shouldn't shock people by having clean bathrooms. You know what I mean? I completely agree with you. It's the simple stuff, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then like, I was thinking about, you know, what customer experiences have really wowed me. And it's like, uh, me undies did like a return for me really easily. 
like they were just like oh yeah no worries we'll do a return and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing like that's just what it should be no hassle just like yeah those are the moments where like i am really wowed are yes are that like oh okay meundies being like yeah okay we'll just send you another one no worries you don't need to do anything for us that's how it should be though i mean if you're really right like, why not <laughs> like, right overcomplicating it i, I want to actually ask you because i believe the shirt you're wearing is a punk band is it not Kirby it's Lane? not. Kirby Lane is a uh, it's a diner in <sighs> Austin. I could have and isn't there a punk band named Kirby? I, I I think there is. I don't know. Maybe. Probably. I'm sure there is. If not, we could make one. I mean, why not? You, I can play piano. So cool. I can play lots of instruments. I have some guitars back there. So like, we yeah, could do it. we got this. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna need to find a we're gonna need to find a drummer because the drummer is uh, usually hardcore for the punk. Yeah, that's true. Were you gonna ask me about punk music, or I do you want to talk about Kirby Lane? They've got great customer experience too. I love I wanna, them. I want to actually ask you about like your favorite punk music right now. Give me My favorite top, punk music right now. Top three. Oh man, that is hard. I listen to a lot of old punk, so I'm pretty much stuck like back in the day. Um, but I think right now I really love this band called The Beths. They're not they're like kind of pop punky. Have you heard The Beths? Do you I know The not, Beths? But not, I love learning about new music. It's like really one thing for me so they're from new zealand and so they're actually like the beasts if we're being you know honest about what they're called um but they're really cute it's a girl fronted band it's like a pop punky situation um i saw them at south by southwest three years ago and i've just really loved them who else am i listening to a lot what about your old school punk i love the ramones which i guess is also pop punk technically but the ramones my first ever punk record was ramones mania it was from my mom <laughs> nice. um and uh, i was i don't know i was like 10 or something like that i really love uh leftover crack is a band that i really enjoy which i don't say very often um <laughs> oh that's a good one that's a good band. Yeah, yeah 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 that's a good one and uh i listened to fugazi my son really, my younger six-year-old son really likes Fugazi, so that's a good one. And yeah, I think those are the the three ones that I've been listening to a lot of recently. Homefront is one that I, I just, Front. yeah, I just discovered them via like a Spotify Discover, um, so they're really good too. My wife has been stuck in this um, like punk phase, like we'll go on like a drive or something, she'll throw on like a bunch of 90s punk. Nice. I think that punk changed a lot too right it was for sure i mean i don't know who like technically revolutionized that genre but you know i think one of the biggest players in that genre at least for me like growing up was like blink 182 some 41 yes yes like those are the those are the ones and then it started getting a little bit like more crazy uh at least what the world consumed is crazy right and like for sure that i remember like going to the warped tours as a young kid you yeah. know what i'm talking about oh 100 percent, yes and uh you have the the coheed and cambrias and and you know you know what i'm talking about like this guy oh, has yes. this like crazy high voice but just mm -hmm. is, like hitting all these uh oh man they just came out with a new album coheed i know and cambria. i know yeah. that, that's why i'm saying like my wife's on this like kick <laughs> now we're we're listening to all this 90s stuff based on the fact that Coheed and Canberra comes out with a new album. And now we're like listening to punk music. 
it goes from punk music to like 80s rock and anywhere in between and then sometimes it's like she'll just throw on music and I'm like what I don't what is going on (laughs) yeah you and my partner probably would have some stuff to talk about (laughs) I'm the same way (laughs) I've been listening to a lot of Snoop Dogg has affirmations for children now oh my goodness (laughs) um so sometimes we'll be listening to that it'll be like leftover crack to like Snoop Dogg's affirmations to like video game music so yeah that's all right I, I appreciate almost all music. The only one that I can't quite get on board with is the really hardcore heavy metal. I just, it's not mm-hmm. really my thing. Mostly I because I, like, I like the dynamics of music, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's got to build up to something, mm-hmm. and it's not just, like, in your face the whole time. <laughs> yes, I agree. But I do get I why agree. people listen to it. I mean, it is a stress reliever, so more power to that, but... For sure. I, I want to end the show because we are getting to time here. And I just want to ask you one more quick question. Sure. What is your favorite brand right now that you follow or that you admire? Ooh. I think my favorite brand right now is Great Jones. Do you know Great Jones? No, no, I don't, actually. Great Jones is a bakeware and cookware company. They're D to C. They make really beautiful crockery. And their brands are like, they're really funny names. They've got like really funny names for sheet pans. And they just came out with measuring cups that they've got really fun names for. And also they're extremely aesthetically pleasing, right? So we've got like the caraways and uh, the like everyday pots and pans, uh, which I also own. But Great Jones, I think, is doing it is doing it really well. They've found their target market and they're like really nailing that home. I would recommend looking them up. They're doing it really well. So wait a minute. If, if that's one of your favorite brands, that means Nikki, you like to cook too. I do. I love to cook. Yes. What's your go-to dish? I cook this thing called fried pasta, um, which is a take on like a Uh, like an Italian dish of like leftover breakfast pasta. I don't know if you've ever had breakfast pasta, but you like take the pasta from the night before and it's like sauce and stuff and you put it in a pan with eggs. It's like fried rice, but with pasta. And that's effectively what this is. I like cook a bunch of angel hair pasta. I mix it with like pesto, Alfredo and some Parmesan and eggs. And then I put it in a pan and I let the bottom caramelize. So the bottom is like all crispy, crunchy, cheesy situation. And then Mm. I flip it over like a giant pasta latka pancake and i let the other side do the same thing and you cut it into slices this is what your partner and your six-year-old love the most right is this like, i think would yeah we, would we be able to <laughs> confirm with these two that that this is the dish that is that is their favorite in the home yes i i think at least my six-year-old would say that my partner would probably say the meal that i cook for like holidays is his favorite but really it's the fried pasta if if we're being honest okay that's fair so thank you so much for joining us today mercer you've been awesome we've had a good time yes thank you so much for having me i uh really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk about these things and thank you for taking the time to ask me questions i appreciate it of course if you've not yet subscribed to the podcast do so We'd love to hear from you as well. So reach out to me on LinkedIn if there's a topic or if there's somebody that you'd like us to have on the show, let us know. We'd love to have them.